Welcome again to Red River Scripture Circles podcast. I am your host, Sean, and I am here today with my very special guest, my wife, Julie, and my great friend, Rabbi Allen. Welcome. And as always, uh, producer Cody is in the house. So it is just good to have you guys both here again. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to revisit the very beginning and really getting down to um, what is good and maybe a little bit of what is not so good. But uh, we've had an opportunity, the very first podcast, we talked about Tove with Pastor Ethan from Heartland Community Church. And the second podcast, we talked about Tove with Rabbi Noah. Now we get to talk to the originator of Tove, Rabbi Allen. <laughs> Uh, I, 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 I originator. Sort of, I sort of think that belongs to Ava, actually. I think so. I think so. <laughs> You're quick. <laughs> I was just afraid, actually. <laughs> this is a no-lightning zone, isn't it? <laughs> Fly into the... <laughs> yes, the danger zone is right here, right now. But uh, so welcome to both of you again. and mm. so good Sweet to, to be back. So good yeah. to have you in the house. Mm. It's exciting to be in the room. Yes. I'm looking forward to this one. Yes. And uh, just for us, not for our audience, but for us, this begins another round of circles with uh, with Alan and uh, getting to see some old faces, getting to see some new faces, and getting to continue to build this community that God has set before us. So mm-hmm. thankful for that. And uh, But um, let's start out. Tove, um, maybe, Julie, you've... Uh, want to just give us kind of a, a quick synopsis of what is Tove mm. and the understanding of Tove done in you and through you and for you? Yeah, I think that Tove has been um, a critical word for me to understand. I, I think an application because it helps kind of help me clarify the day-to-day things that I'm choosing to do or not do. And are they... Um, are they really good in the sense of what God designed good to be? And so as we unpack the word, um, and I've actually heard that from a number of people, that um, when they're looking at their schedule for the day, when they're reflecting on how did the week go, uh, um, interacting with their kids, you know, those reflections of is this tove, mm-hmm. um, and then looking at, at those things through that lens, um, I think probably has been the most critical piece for me with the idea of Tove. Yeah, that's good. So, Rabbi Allen, Allen, you can call me Al. You can call me Al. Where are we going with this Tove thing? Uh, we've we've kind of defined it before with Ethan and and uh, Noah, and people can kind of review those. But take us in a little bit farther. Where is Tove? for you so actually you have raised something that I've really been hmm, uh, musing on exploring wrestling with uh, uh, struggling with in a way Um, I find myself and some other people I know in a season where I have to choose between Tove and Tove yeah Mm -hmm. it's no longer a question of Tove and Ra or or Tove and that which is not necessarily Ra, Ra meaning evil, but not necessarily Ra, but Tov and, and that which won't be Tov, even if it's not evil. Uh, now it's a, a time of 
where the options are between, well, that will surely lead to Tove, and that will surely lead to Tove, and then, but you still have to choose because you can't do. You can't be in two places at one time. Exactly. And in some cases, if it were only two places at a time, that would be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so take us in a little bit further into that, because what is it like to have two good options, and they're not being a right or wrong, how do you choose between the two? Okay, so, yes. Um, I think we're in a, a, a conversation which I just want to sort of set a frame on, which is what I'll call sacred abundance, mm. or what does it truly mean to be in the promised land, or what does it truly mean to be in the kingdom of heaven on earth, or what does it truly mean to be in a land flowing with milk and honey. And and when we set that frame, it feels like these aren't conversations that we've had a lot. We, we talk a lot about what does it mean to leave Egypt, the narrow place, or what does it mean to be in um, sin and then to repent. And then we'll talk about the journey through the wilderness. But nowadays, I hear so much of the conversation being about the journey. And people will talk about, well, the Israelites journeyed for 40 years through the wilderness, or the modern, what I would call parallel analogy to the Israelites moving 40 years through the wilderness is life is a journey. Mm-hmm. And people will be constantly talking about the journey, but won't get to the destination. I mean, what would it mean to be in the promised land and then live out the fullness of God in in the sacred abundance that he has for us, rather than constantly and mainly, dare I say, only thinking about ourselves as a journey towards it, but never getting there. Right. So, so that feels to me, on a, in a sense, like a slightly um, missing or n- underdeveloped conversation that we people of faith have not really been having sufficiently. What does it mean to be in the promised land? What does it mean to be living in the sacred abundance? Meaning it's the, it's the festival of Sukkot or the festival of booths in English. And you're looking out on the harvest and the harvest is so rich as, as we're taught in Leviticus 26. You will have to clear out the old to make room for the new. Oh, but there's nothing wrong with the old. The old is absolutely fine, but you still have to clear it out to make room for the new. Um, and what that looks like in a personal real life sense is um, something, uh, I'll just give a real quick example, but I, I, I haven't lost the fact that I really haven't answered your question. I'm just sort of <laughs> setting the frame for the, for the question. Um, in 1 Kings 3, verse 9, so in 1 Kings 3, God comes to, in verse 5, God comes to Solomon in a dream and says, Sha'al ma'etein lach, which means ask what I will give to you. And then Solomon talks about what the context is in verses 6 through 8. Then in verse 9, Solomon says, venatata, which usually gets translated, you will give or you are giving to your servant a lev shomeah. And Lev Shomea will be translated variously, but I'll just translate it hearing heart. Um, so you will give your hearing heart in order to judge your people. And the verse goes on from there. You will give or you are giving. But one day I was doing a study session. This happened to be in Liverpool in um, the summer of 2018. And somebody had a Young's Literal translation. 
And in Young's literal, venatata was not translated as you will give or you are giving, but you have given. Now, natata happens to be in the past tense. Without getting into too much um, biblical Hebrew grammar, it's not that the translators are being, like, difficult. There is a reason why they're translating it that way. I'm not going to meander down the road there. But the translation you have given puts it in the past tense. The verb is actually in the past tense. Now, that would signify, in terms of thinking about that passage, that what Young's literal is saying, that the Hebrew is saying, is that the wisdom of Solomon is that Solomon knows that God has already given him what he would need to rule. Meaning, he knew, God knew Solomon from before he was in the womb. God knew what's, what Solomon was going to become, and God has given him what he's needed. And that the walk of faith in leadership is to understand that if, if Abba has placed you in a position of leadership, he's given you what you need. You just have to have the faith that you have it, even though you haven't had the opportunity to manifest it yet, because, of course, he's a teenager and he's never been in a position of leadership. Now, if all that made any sense, I've always been teaching that passage up until 2018 as you are giving or you will give. And the study sessions, incidentally, went brilliantly. Uh, when they went well, I mean. Um, but now, the question is, can I clear out the old grain to make room for the new? Oh, this shape shifts the study session because now we're in a deep conversation about what does it mean to have faith in what God has given you in the promised land when you're in a position of leadership, but you've never had the opportunity to lead yet. It's a big conversation. It's kind of that idea that you already <coughs> are who you've been called to be. Exactly. Exactly. And that begins to address the specificity of your question. How do you choose between Tove and Tove? It asks you to know the name that Abba has given you. I was going to ask in your, as you were saying that, is part of this conversation really looking at God's name for this man being Jedediah, man's name for this man being Solomon? And mm -hmm. does that play into Very that? Very good. Yeah. So um, to know one's name um, is to know where to place one's energies in the service of God and the community. Um, I'm reminded of that beautiful moment when Jesus is talking to Peter and says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And Jesus asks again, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And Jesus asks again, and you can kind of sense that Peter's going, mm, and there's more to this answer than yes, clearly. Um, and then Jesus says, well, feed my flock. So now the question is, what does it look like to do our tove in the service of the one and living God in the way that he is asking us to feed his flock? Now, that will definitely focus us in some ways and not in others. That, that passage specifically is the third time that Jesus has met with them since his resurrection. It's the third time that he asks the question, 
and he's Peter's coming to that revelation that what has been is not what will be, correct? And exactly. And that we tend to think of love as a relationship between you and I rather than a relationship between us. And Jesus is now saying what was good and is good for you and I to be in relationship, now there's another circle, a concentric circle. It's going out from there and it's saying what is good for us is good for us, meaning community, not just the two of us anymore. Exactly. Well, the feeding of the flock is one of the keys. I mean, I, I take that personally and to heart, meaning um, I was once a congregant in my 20s and would go to the house of worship and would oftentimes come away feeling as, kind of as empty as when I entered. Now, part of that might have been me, for sure, but part of it was that I wasn't being fed. And what does it mean to see that somebody has come to, to be in worship or to be in study and for them to leave unnourished? Well, that's part of our responsibility as good shepherds, and I'm very consciously using the word good in that context, that we would want to make sure that what we're doing is feeding the flock, And if people walk away, and they walk away pretty much as they came in, um, that's uh, in no small part our responsibility as shepherds, that somehow the flock came to be fed, otherwise why are they there? Um, But we didn't feed them. Now, knowing what to feed them is no small thing. I mean, it's not, I think, intuitively obvious all the time what's the, the feed that need, is needed and called for. But that's the calling on our lives to, to, to if we, we were not sure, to simply ask, did this feed you? And if so, how? And if not, why not? And what can we do differently? And not to make it like I failed or you failed. No, um, let's just figure out how to do this. And I mean that not just on a one-time basis, but week in, week out, month month in, month out. I mean, one can think about this on so many different dimensions. Um, I'm just now sort of shifting gears slightly to parenting or marriage or friending or whatever. Um, just because this worked for five years or ten years doesn't mean it's working now. And what does it mean to say, hey, um, we're in our 40s now as a couple, or we're in our 50s now as a couple, or whatever age it might be, and to say, what is it that really needs to be happening now for us to really experience that sort of shared um, dimension of love and communion, whether that's marriage or parenting or childing or friending? Julie, you look like a thought. <clears throat> I was trying not to cough. Um, you know, it's what it what it's th- reminding me of is um, the idea of a butterfly. And and when God brings us into that promised land and we are there now, the transformation has happened and we've become a butterfly. For this new season, we are something different, but we don't always know it. Okay. We sometimes still crawl on our belly like a caterpillar because we haven't figured out how to use the wings yet, but they're there. 
and they're fully functional, and they're able to take us where we need to go to pollinate all the things that need to be pollinated, but we're still crawling on our belly. Yeah. You know, and so how I, I think that is a significant um, conversation is how do we feed and equip the now butterflies to know how to fly? Well, bravo. I mean, I think that's an exquisite and incredibly apt analogy. And um, just to be personal for a second, I mean, for decades since 1988, I've been traveling around teaching scripture. Um, but in recent years, the call or the transformation to, to follow what you were saying is that what Abba's calling me to is to teach teachers to teach scripture in this way, which is very different. I mean, it's one thing to teach. It's one thing to be a teacher of teachers. And it's a whole new set of challenges. And there's a whole new set of asks. And there's a whole bunch of things that I'm now conscious of or growing in awareness of and working on developing that just were not on my radar screen 10 years ago. And so. it doesn't mean that what you were doing before is not good. Right. It's just different. It was it was exactly the tove of that season. Yeah. But if I didn't grow forward in what um, Abba's asking me to, then it would not be. You see, the the challenge of tove is, in a strange sense, a willingness to allow the sacred future to transcend the sacred present. There's, in other words, we're talking about what does it really mean to live in the promised land? Well, we are in the sacred. That's not, but it's the sacred present. But here comes the sacred future. No, I want you to learn to teach teachers to teach now. But, but you'll have to get out ahead of that one, and maybe you're going to have to start to study things in ways you weren't thinking about before. So, for example, there's a whole bunch of passages, whether in Older Covenant or in uh, Newer Covenant, wherein there's teaching going on and teaching of teachers. And now I'm sort of reading it from that camera angle rather than simply trying to teach the passage. Um, now you're looking at it and saying, not only how do I teach this passage, but how do I draw out the teacher that is in the con that is in the audience. Yeah. That is in the conversation. How do I draw them forward so that they begin to teach as well? Right. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Right. And it's a dual process. It's a you have to be fully engaged in the teaching of the study, but it's a reflexive teaching because you have to be reflexive on how am I teaching this and how would I teach others. And do to I need teach? to teach this a little differently for one of the for the benefit of the potential teacher in the con is that part of it's that? It's more of what would a teacher in this space need to be seeing, hearing, thinking, processing in so, order to teach it. So exactly. For example, in a number of study groups in New England now, there's two, three, and sometimes four people who are being apprenticing and learning to teach in this way, and they're in the room for the study session. They may or may not talk. Usually they talk a, f a fair bit less. But then afterwards, we gather for 15 minutes to a half an hour to talk about what just happened, what worked, or why did you go here rather than there, or when did this room sort of shift and you could feel the ruach 
um, enter the room. Um, and what and why did that happen or why didn't it happen anyway um just that sort of we're now looking at this and thinking about it from the camera angle of what does it mean to teach and become present to the room on that level so um you know i'm I'm thinking of so many passages in the text where, for example, David and Saul at Ein Gedi, 1 Samuel 24, where in you can just approach the passage and teach the passage, and it's an exquisite passage, but David is teaching throughout the passage. He's teaching his men in the back of the cave what does it mean to be anointed, and then he's teaching Saul, actually, when he comes out of the cave, mm, yep. how Saul <clears throat> should view his anointment. And by the time he finishes speaking, Saul has gotten the teaching. This is 1 Samuel uh, 24, uh, verse 16. And Saul lifts up his voice and weeps and then says, Is that your voice, my son David? Meaning he's been seeking to kill David for three months in 1 Samuel 24. And yet in this moment, he's been so clearly communicated with that he realizes the exact issue. Is that your voice, my son, David? Well, he had been calling Jonathan his son, and Jonathan, of course, is his biological son, and that's why he was seeking to kill David, because he wanted Jonathan to be the next king. But by the time David is finished speaking, he realizes that David is his true heir of anointment, not Jonathan, and he actually can name it out loud. Ooh, well, some real serious teaching went on there. Right. And to Transformation. Yes, Mm -hmm. teaching that leads to transformation that allows them to go forward together and allows Saul to name and see his own missing of the mark, radical missing of the mark, and step into what Abba has for the sacred future, which is that David is the, the already anointed present and future king. So, yeah, so just starting to think about passages that way, you know. Hmm. It's a whole new layer of thought process. Right. On top of the fact that you just want to teach the passage so that people can see um, what's happening in Mm -hmm. the passage itself, meaning what does it mean to be in the cave? What does it mean to come out of the cave? What does it mean to confront the person who's trying to kill you but in trying to kill you, they'd actually, if they did it, they would destroy themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm, I'm hearing Star Wars and all that. <laughs> <laughs> Product of my generation. <laughs> but that is, uh, there's so much, there is so much good in that. And seeing how that, you know, and, and so maybe stepping back to how you started the conversation and, um, you know, living in, the, living in the promised land or uh, the kingdom of God is here. And, and even that, you know, become, that starts out being Jesus' message is the kingdom of God is near. But by the end of his life, he's saying the kingdom of God is here among you. It's in you. You will do even greater things than I will do because I go. And it's that seeing that the time of transformation is here 
it is now involving all of us moving forward together, not just you following me, but us walking together, us taking this step together, and it ripples out from there. It's powerful. So it's it's not, if we can climb out of that the alternatives are sin and tove to the alternatives are tove and a river of tove that leads to a sacred future where there's even more abundance. Yeah. Um, Unpack that just a little bit is to say, instead of just standing on the shore with your toe dipping in the river, it's to actually walk into the river and be caught up in the river, in the current, consumed, maybe uh, uh, swept up in what is happening and, and more and more taking my hand off or in, in a scriptural context, maybe opening my hand more, right? right. Well, you know, it's very interesting uh, when you say opening your hand, I'm reminded of Exodus chapter 4, where Moses is with Abba at the burning bush. And Abba's told him, well, what I want you to do is go back to Egypt, confront Pharaoh, get the Israelites, bring them back to this mountain, take them to a land flowing with milk and honey. And then that's Exodus 3. But still at the burning bush in Exodus 4, Moses says, um, well, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to think that you really spoke to me. And so... Abba doesn't go into this long lecture um, about the nature of doubt and sin or anything like that. He asks, what's in the palm of your hand? And it's literally in the palm. Kaf is the word in Hebrew. And, and Moses says, well, it's a staff or my staff. But the funny thing is that the word for staff is also literally in biblical Hebrew one of the words for tribe. Oh. Opening your hand with your people, for your people. Right. It's about that, that thing. What's, so when you said that, what's in the palm of your hand? Yeah. Hmm. And it's your staff. It's the tool that you literally use to go through daily life, but it's also the tribes. Oh. Hmm. And then, and he has a sweet connection with his tribe, even right. though he had not grown up in and amongst them. He had this deep connection, which we see. Right. Well, exactly. And 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 bravo, because the word Levi, he's a Levite. The word Levi means to accompany. Ah. Hmm. Well, the Levites are the tribe that accompanies the people to God. Right. And so. And that will be his job, uh, it's to accompany the people. Hmm. Um, and so the question of what's in the palm of our hand, meaning hmm. what have we been given to do right. and to walk out, it's just so perfect. And it corresponds to name. In other words, when you know your name and when you know what's in the palm of your hand, what's literally in the palm of your hand, in other words, I, I, I'm not supposed to do most of the things that there, that, are, that there exists to do on planet Earth. Just got to see what's in the palm of my hand. Do that. Whatever that is. And right now, it's just 
adding a dimension to what I'm doing, which is thinking about how do you teach teachers to teach in this way? Okay, that's what's in the poem. That's mm -hmm. what I'm being given. And if I can just stay inside of that and not worry about the fact that, oh yeah, I could be worried about um, the pollution of the local river. I could be worried about a million things. We all could. And it's not that, but to trust that Abba has given that to someone else. Now the challenge is for them to see that that's in the palm of yeah. their hand. Um, and I don't mean that there's only one person who's being raised up to teachers, teachers to teach, or there's only one person who's going to be worried about the pollution in the river or all mm -hmm. the myriad things. Um, but the to, tribe of Judah wasn't asked to do the things that the tribe of Levi was asked exactly, to do and vice versa. Exactly. Know who you are, know your name. Yeah. Well, and it's actually one of the things that I've been musing on lately. I haven't started to quite teach on it. Each of the tribes has a name. Mm. Ah, each of the names has a meaning. Judah mm -hmm is Yehudah, which is praise, mm -hmm. or to give thanks. Oh, what does it mean that there's a tribe whose whole reason for being is to praise and give thanks? Ah. And what does it mean to... <laughs> yes, yeah, right, yeah. right, right. So you can see in each tribe, yeah, you just yeah. go on and on. Uh, yeah. It's just like... <laughs> and that it's really, there's 12. Oh, so it's not that there's just one or two or three or four things to do. There's 12 things to do, and when you put that all together... Some days you feel like you're just an afterlight, right? You're just, <laughs> you're just there for the wrestling. <laughs> but there's battle. that. Yeah, it's a yeah. battle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. Julie? This is good. Yeah. It, it's interesting timing because, um, you know, we're also in that same question of what has God given us in our hand to do? And how do we do that? How do we see that? How do we walk that out? That's a that's a common theme I think so in this people. in this community mm -hmm. right now is there seems to be a lot of people who are in that in that wrestle of what is it that I'm called to do in this mm -hmm. step right. in this season. So I I, I just want to walk through this um, by using a name and a passage and so Moses as we learn in Exodus chapter two verse nine is named by Pharaoh's daughter and his name she names him drawn forth from the water. So, and it's a very interesting a series of, so he um, is born in a time when there's this terrible injustice. You could use a lot of different words for what Pharaoh has commanded, but all the baby boys are to be drowned in the Nile. But his mother and sister and Pharaoh's daughter all don't agree and actually move against what Pharaoh has said. And then the very next passage is Exodus 2, verse 11, and this is a, a young but grown-up Moses stepping out of the palace, and what's the first thing he sees? An injustice, mm -hmm. an Egyptian striking a Hebrew. He feels compelled to act. One could have some debate about the quality of the action, but then the next passage, this is Exodus chapter 2, verse uh, 13, he steps out of the palace on the second day, um, and what does he see? An injustice again. But this time it's between a Hebrew and Hebrew. Again, he feels compelled to act. That doesn't really go well either. Then the next thing we are, this is Exodus chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, he's at a well in Midian, and sure enough, what is he seeing? 
and injustice. injustice. I mean, it's just like, voom, voom, voom. And this time, though, it's all different. This time, he draws forth water. But that's his name. That's literally his name. So he sees the injustice, and that is human. But to draw forth the water from the water is to step into his name in the situation. Exactly. He draws forth water, waters the flock, and that leads him to being invited into the home, and that leads to his marriage, and that leads to his future. Whereas those first two acts... So, Hmm. now, people have often asked when we studied that passage, do you think at that moment when he drew forth water in Exodus chapter 2, verses 16, 17, um, to water the flocks, did he know that he was living his name? There's no answer in the text. My intuitive sense is probably not. Um, But maybe, hard to know, it just doesn't say. But we do know that it leads to the sacred future. Oh, so whether you know it or not, and I would suggest for a lot of us we actually don't know it, there's a starting to live our name very young. And there's actions that somehow bring forth Tove in a way that other sets of actions do not. And to start to become conscious of the actions that are actually our name is one of the keys to the kingdom of all our lives. Hmm. And there will be a point where, with clearly with the help of God, he will draw the Israelites through the water. Again, and just a little bit later, he will draw water from the rock, not just on one occasion, mm, but right. on two different occasions. So, oh, but then he's just living his name. But incidentally, it's the second time when he draws water from the rock in anger in Exodus, and pardon me, in Numbers chapter um, 20, that's where he gets into trouble. So to think about that, when you are living your name and doing exactly what your name is, but when you do it in anger in a way that does not, represent what God is asking, because God specifically said, speak to the rock, not strike the rock in Numbers chapter 20. That's where there can be some very Mm. different... But you see, that's why knowing one's name becomes really um, an integral part of what I would call the journey of faith. Hmm. That's good. Well, thank you both. Uh, This has been... This has been awesome, mm-hmm. and uh, can't wait for the week. Yeah, uh, I think yeah. there's good things coming forth this week. So, thanks again for being here, both of you, mm-hmm. and we'll look forward to the next conversation on Red River Scripture Circles. Thank you for joining us today. Our production was handled by Cody Qualley. You can remain a part of the discussion by emailing us at redriverscripturecircles.com by calling 701-404-9318 or find us on Facebook at Red River Scripture Circles.